till we couldn't shake no more. We got down on our knees when cancer knocked at our door. We got kicked in the ass. We gave lots of sass. Oh, when it rains, it falls into this half full glass. Oh, thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Victories in the dark. Hi, I'm Mimi Hall. And I'm Leanna House. And you're listening to Thanks Cancer. We are two cancer friends. And we're not doctors. We're not nurses. We're not shrinks. We're not psychics. We're not shamans. No, and cancer's pretty hard, too. I mean, cancer's a little hard. You might hear some swearing words in the episode. Ben, we hope you'll enjoy it. This is the podcast we wish that we had when we were going through our treatment. And we are live. Yeah, it's our first episode of 2021 of Thanks Cancer. So we're going to start off with a question of an episode. What do you think caused your cancer? That's uh, pretty deep. We're starting off soft for 2021, huh? Yeah, like, it was something that came up for me a lot in, like, the beginning of my treatment, because, of course, like, I wanted to avoid, like, getting it again, right? See, and for me, it never really came up, because, like, my mom died of cancer when I was 15, so, like, I never really had that question, but tell tell me about, like, what were you thinking about? Well, okay, so I felt like I went to, okay, was it water... Was it water? Because Cape Cod has funky water. Um, there's cancer clusters. Was it like swimming in Payne's Creek, which had like sewage going into it? I don't know why I always thought of that. My brother and I both like simultaneously were like, oh, it was like some of the toys we played with, like these like things, rubber bubbles you would blow that like were like totally like toxic smelling. But I mean, I swear there's so many carcinogens in the in the toys. Just put it under the category of crazy toxic toys from the 70s and 80s. Okay, that sounds like a terrible category. So that was it. And then the other thing, which is funny because I seem to be attracted to filthy things living in a city, which you know seems to have a lot to it. So did you, what did you think about? Like, what were your thoughts? I mean, it's funny because everyone I talk to about this is like, oh, are you victim blaming? And I'm like, no, no, because everyone goes to such a weird place when you start talking about cancer causes, because a lot of people and it's a legitimate thing that cancer patients get like, oh, what did you do to cause your cancer? And especially certain types of cancer like lung cancer, there's a lot of blaming. So So from the patients that I've talked to, every time I bring it up, I have to bring it up in a very gentle, delicate way because it comes across as blaming. So much. And then the other thing is a bunch of patients are like, oh, I can't think about that. Like they don't want to, like we'll never know. And there's so much if in the, you know, cancer research world too, that it's understandable that like no one wants to go down that rabbit hole that has a bunch of different offshoots and no, no answers. There's no No. answers. Mm -mm. So like, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't really think about that at all. I was like too focused on the trauma and reliving my mother's like death that I didn't, I did not think about cancer causes at all at the time. Well, it's funny because I haven't thought of it until a long time. And then I was inspired to, we, we'd had this episode like on deck, like we'd sketched it out a few months ago. Like uh, almost a year. <laughs> time is weird. Time is weird. So, and I think we actually brought it up more recently because I found some like crush notes in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> Like we were walking or you something. You know, all of our I, best things, cancer ideas, are on floating pieces of paper at the bottom like, of hand There was a grocery list and on the back <laughs> yeah. were the notes for, for cause my cancer. I come across floating pieces of paper so, 
so, but what, so this week though, there was an article that came out. Um, I, it came into my feed. You know, I read my Google feed probably in the middle of the night, which I know is not healthy. But it came out in the Guardian, and the title was "People Should Be Alarmed: Air Pollution in U.S. Subway System Stuns Researchers." Riders in major cities, especially in New York, encounter particle quantities well above safe levels. There's a picture of the MBTA on it. We're going to have the link to this. Uh, so what does that what does that mean? Like there's there's particles in the air from pollution all the time, right? However, so what it means macro is teeny airborne particles, and I'm quoting here from the Guardian article, probably thrown up by train brakes or the friction between train reels and rails are rife in the 71 underground stations sampled by researchers during morning and evening rush hours in. Boston, New York City, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., the cities that contain the bulk of subway systems in the U.S. Okay. Okay. And so what does that, what does that cause? Okay. So first of all, I just want to do like, that's like, the, the, on a personal note here, I was sort of reading this and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> because you lived in a, right. several I've lived in New York City for 10 years and I've lived in Boston for God, when you've combined like the first time where I lived here for like what, 18, 19 years, something like that. Right. So I was just like, oh, interesting. And, um, and I, but I did have that, like when I read the headline, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I got out of New York city when I did. Feeling very superior. <laughs> oh yeah. Like default, <laughs> like safety default. Like, well, I got out of it in time just before nine 11. And that's great. Okay. So basically though, what's creepy about it. So I'm reading on further and I'm just reading like the order I'm like scrolling down reading it it's it's kind of interesting so they mentioned like hazardous metals and organic particles which later they mentioned the organic particles were like dead rats Oh. And stuff like it's really, really gross. <laughs> and like the um, non-organic particles are well, some of the organic particles are carbon, like just you know what I mean, like carbon from, and then a lot of brake dust also with um, our like just like horrible things in it. And okay. because it's underground, it's all contained. Totally. Together. So here's what it says. Um, so then I'm reading down and I'm like, oh, Christopher Street, that's my old train stop in New York City because I lived in the West Village and that was my train stop. Now I just want to say for the record, I didn't take the train that often in New York City. Glad I didn't. Because it says here, Christopher Street, a Manhattan station that helps connect New York and New Jersey, had an incredible particle pollution level of 1,499 micrograms per cubic meter, about 77 times higher than above ground pollution. This is a pollution level more commonly found near large wildfire or during a building demolition, the researchers just said. Oh. It was the worst pollution ever measured in a subway station, higher than some of the worst days in Beijing or Delhi, said Gordon, who said he was so amazed by the readings on his instruments. He had to ask colleagues to conduct repeated tests to ensure the figures were correct. Yeah, it just wasn't believable. My colleague went down there and his airways were feeling tight after an hour or so. Oh, that's yeah. terrible. Yes. <laughs> and people are in and out of these stations every day. Oh my God, so many people. Millions of people. So many people. So now I'm feeling still like I'm clutching my pearls, my make-believe pearls <laughs> around my neck. And I'm like, oh, oh, I mean, perhaps it did cause my cancer. And I'm, I'm so glad I got out of there. But then it continues. The researchers calculated that someone making a typical commute to and from Christopher Street was increasing the risk of an adverse cardiovascular event by 10%. But the station wasn't the only one with elevated airborne toxins. With Broadway in Boston, which is my neighborhood, <laughs> Second <laughs> Avenue 
in New York City, I mean, 30th Street in Philadelphia, among the most polluted stubs in the U.S. Northeast. People should be highly alarmed by these high levels, Gordon said. And you are. You are then, highly alarmed. And then I broke my imaginary pearls. Because I was like, oh, <laughs> Pearls everywhere. No. So this is interesting. Analysis of the air samples shows the pollutants were mainly composed, this is answering your question, of iron and organic carbon, a chemical produced from the breakdown of fossil fuels or decaying plants and animals. The latter has, when inhaled, been linked to an increased risk of respiratory conditions, lung cancer, and heart disease. It is not entirely clear. This is such a silly sentence. I have to read this. It's not entirely clear why pollution in subways is worse than above ground. Although the open air is able to dilute and remove some of the fumes from cars and trucks while underground stations <laughs> are often poorly ventilated. Well, that's wow. a statement. Yeah. Yes, but, and then I just have to read this. The researchers also plan to further explore the exact sources of the pollutants, which can range from the exhaust given by diesel locomotives to dust whipped up from the remains of dead rodents. Gross. So gross. So anyway, so we're just breathing in bullshit, and it's causing <laughs> respiratory illnesses like COVID, right? And um, increased risk and uh, lung cancer, right? And I, you know, and also shout out to Britain because last year, January 9th, like right before I spent some time in London, there was something published by the BBC. We'll also we'll link to this. Um, but the King's College article will be posted in our notes too, or links to it, and they really started studying how metallic abrasion dust, which is rife down in subways or like just in Victorian times or any place that they're burning coal that like have particulates, it's it, it can create serious illnesses like pneumonia, bronchitis, and then that leads to lung cancer. Well, and we talked about this with Percival Potts mm-hmm. and the, the chimney sweeps. Yep, exactly. They added brake dust could be behind a condition known as London throat. Sufferers experience imminent bouts of runny noses and the low-level illness can lead to more serious infections. I will just say for the record, I have felt this when I've taken the train too much in London or Boston or New York City. The scientists found that vanadium, a metal present in both brake dust and diesel fumes, might be responsible for harmful effects on immune cells. And that's the macrophages, that the lungs' frontline defense system, which kill bacteria by engulfing and digesting them, were exposed in a lab to dust taken from a brake pad testing factory. And when uh, they were exposed to these particulates, they found that the ability to, to get other bacteria is reduced. So that gives you that like London throat. Wow. So do you think that air pollution caused your cancer? I mean, honestly, I didn't until sort of like last week. Let's say it was like on my list of naughties. Do you know what I mean? Of like things that could have caused it. But the more that I look at this, I'm like, well, that could have been like, I kind of view in like a pie chart for me. And I think like of all the things like that could have, you know what I mean? Like that's in the pie chart. That's in my pie chart for sure. Yeah. So you know that I've gone down the rabbit hole of medical history. Mm -hmm. And because... Um, whenever I talk about cancer causes, everyone's like, oh, you'll never know. And it's complicated mm. and different types of cancer and different causes and every everything's super complicated. It's like a spooky cancer risk. Spooky cancer risk. Spooky cancer Okay, witch. so I refuse to accept that. 
Damn you, cancer witch, you're not real. <laughs> well, effects have causes. That's how the causal universe works. I refuse to believe that there is no cause and that we'll oh, just never know. So I've gone down the rabbit hole because I have access to a bunch of uh, old literature through Boston Public Libraries and through Harvard University. So I've been reading a bunch of books from like... I started in the 16 and 1700s, and it's interesting how how our ideas about what cancer is and what cancer was caused by have changed, because um, in the 1600s, it was thought to be a communicable disease, like mm. influenza. Mm. Um, so it was like you would isolate the cancer patients, which is kind of wild, and that didn't stop the cancer. Uh, surprise, surprise. In the 1700s, this was like the Enlightenment period, so they're actually like conducting some really wild experiments mm -hmm. and it was thought that like sudden or violent emotions or long grief caused cancer so there was an emotional connection they thought that the pain was caused by weather changes and maybe cancer was caused by like an obstruction or a corrosion of the blood vessels and they tried to investigate this like is cancer an infectious disease and they tried to transplant cancer so they would take cancer from <gasps> a person and try to put it in like fucking rats and monkeys and stuff and they were never successful transplanting cancer cross species it wasn't until 1889 that they finally were like oh maybe we should do it within the same species and then like some guy transferred uh, cancer from one rat to another but they figured out in the 1700s that it's probably not communicable it's probably not like the flu or or some of these other um, diseases early on like i mean just wild ideas like there's too much blood and there was too much blood to be absorbed so maybe that causes cancer and there was an early connection in the 1700s to diet and um there were research researchers that were researchers, huh? I mean, they were, I guess, researchers. They were starting. I mean, they were beyond the barber doc. Well, they were just going moving beyond the barber doctors, as we know. Ah, maybe. Some. Um, so, Some. so there were treatment centers where they treated cancer with a vegetarian diet. And the language of the um, book I read about this is like, and I'm sure he did have some success treating cancer with a vegetarian diet or at about the same rate as the other, you know, doctors in their other treatments. And I'm like, oh, well, that's some shade. Um, <laughs> okay, so so the 1700s had a bunch of ideas. And then the 1800s come along and we the 1800s is when we discovered cells and the microscope. And so in the 1800s, people thought it was caused by maybe poison, something that was absorbed or mm -hmm. uh, inhaled, or perhaps internally something happened that your body started producing poison. Still very interested in the blood. I'm um, getting closer to the truth. I, look, I, well, what is the truth? Right. Okay, so, and then we have Percival Potts with, like, <laughs> irritation as a cause. They're making interesting connections. Like, it was thought, cancer was thought to be more common in the North than the South, which is kind of a interesting distinction mm. that they made. And this is, like, the Northern Hemisphere. It was... 1850s, they started talking about, well, is cancer a disease of like a certain part of the body? Or is it a disease of the whole body? Like, mm. is it a constitutional disease? And so um, they started like, treating the whole body and cancer as all through your body, because this is when they like discovered leukemia and stuff. There in the 1870s, they talked about it like a parasite, xenogenesis, and like how your body produces something non-living or something other and I thought that was a really interesting connection mm -hmm. and like thinking about about cancer is a 
parasite, I think, is a is an interesting. Your body change. produces something non-living or other. It's just a different kind of description of a tumor. Yeah, it is, but it's also like a different way of thinking about cancer as a parasite versus cancer as a virus, as a virus mm-hmm. or an infection, right. or is this constitutional? Is this local? Mm-hmm. You also uh, have in the 1870s they made the connection between like inheritance and inheritable diseases, even mm. though this was before we know about genes. And they even in the 1800s were talking about um, soil and environment and the low-lying lands. Mm. So I thought that was... The, what are the low-lying lands? Like the, the valleys, the valleys and the wetlands and the... Like, oh, now that's interesting. Now that might even be very interesting when you look at that from an air quality level though. Oh, yeah. Right? No. Like seriously. I've been very interested in air quality and especially since... Through all of this, through the 1700s, through the early 1900s that I've looked at, the thing that keeps coming up, the the connection that keeps being made is cancer being more common in the cities. Now, one thing to keep in mind, like the data we have from, you know, the 1600s or 1700s or 1800s is super spotty. So like the data is like, Um, and also it's wrong to assume that because we're seeing more of it, that it's it's a causal thing. Because um, in cities is where you have doctors, and doctors Correct. are and the it's ones where you have that records find. and right. et cetera. I understand right. that, but, but it's, it's it, interesting to speculate based on what we were thinking of earlier. It is interesting, and the fact that through the centuries, like you know, cancer being a infection or cancer being an obstruction or all of these other things, like come and go, but the cities kept coming up in like study after study and mm. you know publication after publication and so i i don't know i've been thinking a lot about like what is it about the city or about the lifestyle of a city mm. or the the luxury and how you have access to things that you might not have access to in the country, especially mm-hmm. historically, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up in the country, but it seems I've got a taste for like really chic historical neighborhoods that have chic historical health problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so glamorous. We have all right, the glamorous. Like, I diseases. love the West Village and <laughs> living in the lower end and all of that. But like, yeah, it's like I've lived in these neighborhoods and I've lived in these buildings and I've lived in honestly. Like, I've always felt like when I take the green line, I'm taking an antique choo-choo train trolley. You know what I mean? It is. indeed, like, it turns out, like, these choo-choo trolley trains, like, are that are in very old stations, like 100 years old, 150 years old. They're no good. Okay, well, you know what you told me when we first met, and you said, well, how close do you live to the highway? <gasps> right, because of the brake dust. I was aware of that very much, yeah. However, like, in a city, in a city, you were always within a mile of a highway. Are you kidding me? Like, how many highways are there in Boston? Well, but it depends on which way you are with the wind blowing. Well, still. No, but it's still. But it You're is important. Very close. No, but it's very important. And to you think can't. About that. You can't get away from it. No, and I always thought about um, looking back at the brake dust too. I did my runs, and I don't think that was a great idea along the West Side Highway for what, like. I don't know, six or seven years of my life. In my 20s, I would do my constitutional runs from whatever. I lived on Leary Street, so it's like Upper Tribeca, Lower West Village, all the way down to the tip of Manhattan and back while there was traffic surging along to the Holland Tunnel. And then I could look out at Jersey. That wind 
was coming from the, you know what I mean? It's just like, it was a lot of brake dust and you can see it in the air and it can't be good for you. So no. um, where I grew up, you get up, the London throat, you get the London toxic throat. Yeah. So where I grew up in Salt Lake city, we have something called an inversion right. that I have a nephew that did a school project on it where he went up in an airplane and looked at it because in, Ooh. in salt, in the Salt Lake Valley, you have the, the way the pressure systems are, it traps the pollution and we have days that you're not allowed that they advise you not to go outside and you're not allowed to burn anything you have no burn days because you can see the pollution Mm -hmm. in salt lake city the air we breathe and what we take into our bodies like that affects that has to have an effect i mean it does have an effect on like respiratory illness and everything else like that's a well-known link but it's like it can't be good for us but it's kind of an interesting thing if you take the sort of the Gaia approach of the Earth being kind of our mother. If you think about like all of these human beings clustering into certain environments and coming together and burning lots of fossil fuels, like old, old, old dinosaurs, you know, long dead dinosaurs and peat bogs and all of that stuff, burning, 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 creating pollution. How do you control for that with a population that's so hell bent on being alive like human beings? Well, they get cancer. Like, that's one way. Because imagine if we didn't get cancer and we were living to be, like, 120 years old and no one got cancer. It seems like the more our population increases, our cancer is, like, creeping up along with us. I mean, perhaps it's a way of keeping our populations in check. And it is. And I don't know. I don't know. Well, nothing, but that's, I, I do. I do think there's something to... It's not just quantity of people because like quantity of people is not useful. It's quality of life. And if we can't, if we can't figure out how to make our cities have clean air to breathe, like we have no business increasing our population more and more until we like kill ourselves. I mean, we're not squirrels. We can, we're like smarter than squirrels. We can plan for this. Right. But as a, as a population, we don't seem to be very good at cooperative execution of plans, I would say. Yeah. It's interesting. So I was ready to leave New York city after living there for, I guess, when I say like six years or seven years, and I took this trip to India for the first time, and I went to a place where the populations were like twice the size or like 2.5 the size of New York, and they were really polluted, really polluted, using wood to heat, using um, coal, like cheap brown coal, and having no system of like filtration on their cars just completely pure pollution at this time because this was the 90s yeah and i came back to new york city and i almost felt like i kissed the ground because you just see what it's like in these really really dense cities and that's sort of where i'm riffing off of where it's just like jesus like okay well here it's to control us here's the thing on the macro level like when cancer starts it it's not cancer it's the pre-cancer is just too many cells in one place. Mm-hmm. Just too many. Right. And that has always been like the line between not cancer and cancer is just irritation in a way. No, it's just like too many. It's right. just too, too many much. packed in. My childhood home was heated with coal. We had a coal burning. That's interesting. Stove. Mine was too. Mine was too. 
well, what are our protocols? Maybe you don't want to burn coal. (laughs) Maybe, maybe like don't burn coal. How about like everything that I do and all of my tastes, like spending time in places like India um, and the West Village and South Boston, you shouldn't do. Uh, But at the same time, like public transportation, save the world, but not yourself. (sighs) Okay. Ah! Okay, here's 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 my protocol. I <laughs> I mean, here's my protocol. Um you can't get away from the air we breathe. So maybe ride a bike. I don't I don't worry about I don't it's interesting cuz I don't have a a emotional reaction to what caused my cancer because what caused my cancer and if I caused my cancer are two separate things and whatever is causing cancer is unavoidable in my opinion because it's so it crosses so many lines so like maybe maybe don't worry about it yeah I also can understand that too well you know I totally while I have a visceral reaction I think in the end it's your DNA it's like and if you're destined to have cancer you're going to get it one way or another. I don't know. That's the worst to me. Like, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, okay, so like the cancer, the cancer. No, you can feel weird, but like, but like, <laughs> I don't feel weird about it. I just feel like, like, why do we like it? So many of us get it from so many different backgrounds at so many different periods of time. It has to be DNA. We just haven't cracked it yet. I don't know. Everyone says it's a DNA. And we've talked about mm-hmm. this chicken and egg thing before, because the air you breathe changes your motherfucking DNA and your epigenetics. So your DNA isn't this stone inscription of this is what your life is going to be like. It's this chalk that gets written in and written on. So when people are like, oh, it's in your DNA, I'm like, okay, well, that's not helpful at all because my DNA is affected by what my motherfucking did. And then you're saying that it's in my DNA as though there's not environmental causes and environmental influences. Well, so I, I feel just... like it's a, co- okay, fire, but I feel like it's a combo. It's like the nurture and nature theory of growing up. Like, I think it's both. So I feel like if you have slightly twisted DNA that has a propensity to get cancer, and then you do things like you take the Broadway T stop all the time. <laughs> then, And by the way, this is easily surveyable. Like, this is not that difficult, like, to be like, do you, like, if you had willing participants, like, it's pretty easy to suss out. Have you had a family member with cancer? Do you take the Broadway tea step every fucking day? Excuse my French. Every day. You know what I mean? Like, like anyway, but if like, I'm just saying, I feel like it's like one of those things where like some people don't have a switch and some of us are born with a switch and it takes someone, something, some experience, some event, some air, I believe in the air to flip it. Um, I don't know what exactly it is. Like I said, I see a pie. (laughs) Okay. Uh, my other protocol is, be involved in research because doctors have all these ideas and researchers have all these ideas and that's fabulous, but they can do jack shit without willing participants. So if you have the opportunity to be a part of a research study, be a part of a research study. And every time we get researchers that ask me, oh, are you willing to share about my research study? I always say yes, because research is how we make shit happen. Totally. And by the way, I mean... Honestly, if you've benefited from the system at all, meaning you've received chemotherapy, you've received radiation. And you're still alive listening to this. Yeah, you should really give back because you've benefited from people who've been there. And by the way, your information isn't really private anymore anyway. It's just not. 
and we might as well give it to the doctors we instead might as well of to use China. It for research. Yeah, I didn't do 23andMe before because I was like, oh, my genes, everyone will know. Now it's like, who cares? You know, take all the saliva <laughs> you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, I think that anyone who wants to write us and ask for some of Mimi's saliva, no. please, <laughs> we'll start a mailing service. <laughs> we should put that on our Patreon. <laughs> yes, that should be on our Patreon. Hashtag Henrietta Lax. No, that's not funny. Uh, that's not funny. No, poor Henrietta. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, we love Henrietta. Thank you, Henrietta. But I mean, seriously, that's why we should give. Uh, and the research now is um, we're making the researchers be much more mindful of not being dicks about research because totally. the research that I'm reading about in the 1800s is wild. Oh, my God. It's been bad for everyone. <laughs> it's like bad for a long the time. The things that were done. Oh, my God. And the things that maybe are being done now. But I got to tell you, like, I'm really happy to be here now. Like, it's a much more gentle experimental scene now. Our protocol is appreciate how far we've come totally and maybe put a mask on if you're going to be a commuter on subways uh, and put a fucking mask on it anyway we're in the middle of a global pandemic i know but just now that we're all used to it maybe keep them on for subways okay okay all right well thanks the guardian right thanks and thanks uk like thanks uk for just being thanks open UK about media. all of the things we're yeah, doing thanks wrong UK media for being open and you know like writing about this stuff and um yeah thanks cancer thanks cancer that was our episode thanks for listening to thanks cancer if you guys enjoyed this episode we'd love it if you would give us a review on itunes or google play and you can find us on instagram or twitter or facebook at thanks cancer and please we'd love to hear from you your stories your protocols exactly advice that you have to share with the community so send us your audio files at info at thankscancer.com traffic stopped you lay on the horn and you ask yourself where is my cancer unicorn but we're at the gate with your cancer card we're your passport date cause cancer's damn hard oh thanks cancer thanks cancer thanks cancer victories in the dark (laughs) 